Hi, and welcome to Talking to Artists, a casual weekly conversation where artists share their inspirations, process, challenges, and business ideas to give art lovers and aspiring artists a peek behind the curtain. I'm Kate Taylor, full-time Canadian artist and your host today. Thanks so much for joining us. And good morning and welcome to episode 12 of Talking to Artists, a casual conversation where artists share their inspirations, thoughts, processes, challenges, and business ideas to help art lovers and aspiring artists kind of get a bit of a peek behind the curtain. So I'm Kate Taylor. I'm your host of Talking to Artists, also an abstract painter based in Canada. And uh, this week I'm really excited. I'm so excited I have to actually put my glasses on so I can see what I'm doing to talk to uh, Kat Stambolic. So Kat is a multidisciplinary artist, so her work is very whimsical and lovely and kind of really pulls you in, so I'm really excited to talk to her a little bit. And she graduated with a BA of Honours in Studio Art from Brock. So I think we had, uh, I saw Kat here, so I'm just going to jump right in, and she should be here soon. In the meantime, if you're looking for any of the back uh, episodes of Talking to Artists, they will be on my Instagram channel. Hey, how are you? Hi, good, how about you? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, you know what? Actually, sorry. You know, I had this whole setup done. I do this every time. Then I forget to actually plug something in. Yeah, it always happens that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Well, we will try this. So if I can't hear you, I'm going to disconnect my Yeti speaker, which normally is really great. Okay. Anyway, so maybe you can just talk a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we will just kind of start to chat. Yeah. So my name's Katarina. I go by Kat or Katarina but I have been working as an artist after university now for about three years and pursuing it professionally since I graduated. It's been probably about a good year and a half since I started the series that I'm currently working on, which is called Prone to Overthinking. And I named it because I'm very prone to overthinking, but it's- I'm sorry, I'm actually- Every time I think I got my shit together, it just proves that I'm really not designed to do technology. It's okay. My my stand is is four wooden panels and a teacup. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually I had a I bought a Yeti microphone because I I was working with that originally and it worked really well. And then I don't know I have a new phone. I just got a new phone yesterday. So of course you're trying to create your new phone, and then now I think there's just I must have downloaded an app wrong or something like that. Anyway, I so so sorry. I do want to hear all about your new series now. I am fully focused. <laughs> All right. Yeah, just let me know if you need to stop and double check. No, you're good now. I can totally hear you. Great. So, um, tell me about your new series. It's been a lot of trial and error trying to figure out how to work with the materials, but I'm starting to get to a place where I'm comfortable enough with them to start branching out. So yeah, the new series, it's mostly about materials take the lead and working in the moment and being present because I so often just go crazy with process and thinking about all the behind the scenes stuff and why am I doing this and how am I doing this and it was always getting so complicated so it was really freeing to be able to just sit down and go for it and let things take me where they want to go mm-hmm. and now I'm kind of learning how to push them back so it's there's a little bit more control that I'm taking back in the series but it's still very much a discussion rather than a a command. Well, but I think that's also where you get that really, the really great energy of your pieces too, though. I think that, that they, every piece of art could become formulaic if you're not careful. And I think that it's, that's why it's important to kind of, you know, say, do your thinking outside the studio. And then once you're in the studio, just let your intuition go, kind of go and do what it's going to do within the structure of knowing that at the end of the day, it's not going to be a complete hot mess. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
and like have your fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, and there's always that, right? Like there's always pieces too. I find I had this vision in my head of what's going to be, and you know, I go back at the end of the day and I'm just feeling so good. I go into the studio the next morning. I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what was happening there, but it's not a good thing. It's interesting, especially with these materials, they continue to move around as they dry. So sometimes I'll leave something and I'll be really happy with it. And then I come back and it looks, it, it could be a completely different piece of work. <laughs> I think I first saw your pieces at uh, the Riverdale Art Walk yeah. a few years ago. And they're just so intriguing. Like I find they really kind of draw you in because they're just so different. Can you maybe actually talk a little bit more about actually what it is and what your process is? And if you happen to be in your studio, it'd be lovely to have a peek. Yes, I am in my studio. I will show you around in a in a minute. But so the material I use is a plastic called Duralard. So this is kind of a an example piece. Mm. Really thin. It's very similar to what people use for overhead projectors, but it won't yellow or degrade over time. So I use this as a base and then I use alcohol-based inks over top of it. So similar to what's in a Sharpie or a Copic marker, just mm -hmm. a small form. Oh, cool. And then I push them around with, I started out when I initially started with those little canisters for cleaning your keyboards, just the compressed air canisters. <laughs> and that was- So you put the color on and then you'd use the canister to move the work around, the color around? Yeah, so it's, it's very similar to like just blowing with a straw. But since then I've been able to upgrade to a full air compressor situation. So I've got that. And once the color's on there, I can then heat it with a heat gun to create these sculpted forms. And does it work? Is it like, can you kind of control now what those sculpted forms are going to look like? Or does it still take on a little bit of a life of its own? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I actually think that when I initially started sculpting them, I had almost more control because I was being so careful because I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And since I've gotten used to what the heat tool does and how it contracts the material, I've almost lost the lost like the intricate forms of sculpting so i want to try and get back into doing it more slowly so i can get more undulation as opposed to for example you see this piece it's kind of like flat at the bottom mm -hmm. makes it really easy to mount but i want to get back into this kind of thing where it's like, oh beautiful you know, yeah Sculpted. And is it kind of a one-shot deal? like, Or can you kind of gradually, can you sculpt it and let it cool and then sculpt it and let it cool? I can kind of do that, but I have to be really careful because there's always a, a moment where you leave it in one place too long and then all of a sudden there's a big hole in it. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like the process of doing resin, like you need to use a blowtorch, right? And so yeah. you kind of want, there's that fine line between doing what you need it to do and in resin getting rid of the bubbles and then potentially scorching it and you're kind of ruining the whole piece and you can't really go back and fix it at that point, right? Exactly. There's always like, there's a point where you can kind of fix it. And then there's always that point where you jump right over the ledge. And yeah. <laughs> but with experience too, that, that point where you, you're kind of kissing the edge becomes further and further out, right? Like, cause you start to get a better feel of, of the, you know, like the process and how the materials are going to behave and stuff like that. I'm sure that's the same with you as well. Definitely. It's been like, I'm really happy with where my ability is right now compared to where it was when I started out with the, the materials, but I definitely have a long way to go still until I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> well, and then my guess is you'll be bored with it and you'll be onto something else, Probably. right? Because that's kind of the way of the artist. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'll show you around the space. So let me. Yeah, that'd be great. So this is like my main work desk. It happens to be our old dining room table. Looks like a nice size. 
great. It also extends. It's got those like leaves in it. So this is kind of all my inks that I've got a few pieces that I'm still kind of working on. Oh, they're beautiful. They're like little jewels. Yeah. I started calling them little gems after uh, Jody started calling them that. So <laughs> that worked out well. So yeah, I've got the air compressor, heat gun, which I kind of just nabbed from my dad's workshop. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, I tend to put whatever biggest piece that I'm kind of struggling with over my workspace just so I can keep looking at it and hopefully get new ideas for how to repair it or change it. So this is the, the main piece right now. I haven't decided what size panel I'm going to put it on. So I'm just kind of still figuring that one out. It's like Lisa and I were talking um, last week too about how much of being creative and being an artist is actually just thinking and looking and trying to figure yeah. out your next steps. Yeah, it's trying to rush things. I always make horrible mistakes. And of course, with this material, it's there's no going back. So I definitely taking the step back and just letting it sit for as long as it needs to sit is something I'm trying to embrace. It's actually kind of, I think, one of the nice things, if you could say there's a nice thing about COVID, but it actually, you know, has kind of allowed, I think, a lot more of that thinking time in the studio, especially in the summer, without having that kind of like bang, bang, bang of show after show after show that you have to produce for. Definitely. And that's definitely, I'm taking a break lately of, of just production and spending more time with experiments. So I'll show you that table. These are all of my ongoing experiments. So that's either with like different materials. I've started to use some of the golden high flow along with the alcohol ink and they very much don't like each other, <laughs> but they create some really cool stuff. So for example, they've I've got this thing where they kind of almost curdle away from each other, but it creates. Yeah. Little, it's kind quite of... an interesting effect though, isn't it? Yeah. So it's all stuff that I'm just kind of playing around with so I can constantly see it and reevaluate. But yeah, everything else is kind of mostly storage for me right now. Try to keep things as organized as possible and that doesn't always work out, of course. I should mention we're in my basement. <laughs> um, and yeah, just kind of keeping everything as put away as possible. But this is probably the cleanest it's been in a while, right? Because you know you might have to show it. I cleaned like a fanatic this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry to add that stress to you. <laughs> oh, no, you know what? It's something that I, I needed to do anyways. <laughs> it's so. kind of like having dinner parties in the olden days, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, and I've got to clean all that stuff up, and I've got to repaint the baseboards, and somehow all that stuff gets done. Exactly, yeah. So I think if you if you go to my story after this is, is wrapped, you'll see what it looked like on a usual work day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've mastered the, the drop sheets for sure. Yes, yeah, me too. And so you mount your stuff after it's finished, you mount it on like a panels, right? So that people can actually hang them on the wall as a panel or are they, are they hung? So this is a, a mounted piece that I did actually last year. It was actually in the Riverdale Art Walk last year. Right. So it's still got its little <laughs> ring from, uh, from putting it on the grates last year. But yeah, yeah it mounted on there. Uh, I use like a very thin layer of art resin just to kind of adhere them so they can hang on the wall or like sit on a shelf. There's a few different ways you can display them. Hmm. Excellent. Now, how much of your time do you think would be used kind of in the experimentation and kind of play? Recently, a lot. So I would say in the last month, month and a half, since the Toronto Online Art Fair wrapped, I've only been doing experimentation. I've not been doing any finished pieces just to kind of get back into the habit of playing and not having as much pressure to create finished polished works so 
pretty much exclusively over the past month, that's what I've been doing, probably about three hours a day, something like that, just trying to do little quick bursts in the studio off and on as much as I can. But pre the last month, most of it, it kind of fluctuates. Like I'm either in an experimentation mode or I'm in production mode. So I kind of right. figure out where I want to go with the work and then I just go for it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think you see that a lot with artists, especially if you're watching like their Instagram posts. It seems like you don't hear a lot from them and all of a sudden it's like bang, bang, bang. You know, like things are they're out there and they're sold. And I do the same thing. I work on a number of pieces at the same time, which means that there's a period of time when nothing is really finished, right? And all of a sudden they all get finished and then hopefully, not always, but all of a sudden they all get sold. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. So much easier to do them in batches. So like you get <laughs> a certain number ready and then you just pour that number and then just kind of rotate them all out. Yeah. And um, do you find, how do you find then selling online? Because obviously we're all in an age where we're kind of going online. I was in the Toronto Outdoor as well. And now kind of art walk in the square. Are you finding that uh, the sales are working through that? Or can people really experience your work digitally? I was very concerned about the the online part of it, especially because the um, Toronto outline, you can only upload the one photo and like hope that someone would click to further profiles to see the 3D aspect of the work. But I was pleasantly surprised with how my sales went. So for me, the, the online fair was definitely a success. And I'm working now towards the art walk in the square as well. So I hope that that one has like a similar success rate, because <laughs> that would be Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I typically don't generate many online sales like I have an Etsy shop especially for the small pieces but most of my sales that I've done recently have been through uh the Blue Crow Gallery yeah Jody's fabulous she's for really promoting her artists yeah. and that uh, the square foot or the small show she did was really wonderful too like you really got a good sense of all the pieces that she had there yeah so that having her show everything online but also letting a couple of people in the store at a time has been mm -hmm. like probably the the most successful sales experience I've had in in COVID. Yeah, I think I'm finding too that it's, it's that, that's really that hybrid between the digital and the in person. Yeah. Um, and so either people have seen you in the past, and now the, the digital is kind of the maybe the impetus to actually get them to kind of move forward and purchase or do a commission or whatever. But yeah, I haven't had that many which have been pure, I know they're purely online sales, like when I sell in the UK or the US or something somewhere, you know, obviously, they haven't come to your studio. Right? But and I think we're trying with Art Walk in the Square, too, to kind of partner that with a potential in-person. So if you want to set up your tent and so people have the opportunity to come out and kind of see you, which would be kind of cool. Would you do something like that? I think depending on how um, September happens with the reopening of schools and, and seeing what kind of case rates end up as, I think yeah. that I would definitely look into. I know that the um, Trinity Bellwoods had a, a flea market this past weekend and it seems like that went well and people were being really good and respectful about space and distance so I think yeah I think that everyone's adjusting to them and seeing art in person is still so important so it's something I would definitely be open to. Yeah and I think also meeting the artist too right I think that's also part of it when people are buying original art they're buying a little bit of the artist too so yeah definitely. It's nice to have that. So I wanted to talk about, because I thought it was really uh, cool, I was watching your videos as you were working on the circadian rhythms, which now seems hard to actually mentally identify with since it was all about cold and isolation and dark, and it's so hot here. <laughs> How did that kind of come about? And that looked like that was a pretty huge, daunting project. It was. It was. So circadian rhythms was a few years ago now. It was, I kind of was in a 
a habit of just applying to every single call for submissions I could. And that good business tip. <laughs> you yes. should always do that. <laughs> a lot of work, but it was definitely very worth it. And what I was doing was even if I was grossly underqualified for the call, I would still just put in an application. And when I got accepted to that, that was a major shock. And then I kind of had to pivot the whole project because what I thought in my head I could achieve was not a reality in terms of engineering controls. <laughs> so luckily Ontario Place, I have to say if anyone has any interest of working with public installation work and trying it out, Ontario Place has been the most amazing corporation that I could even imagine working with. They're so great about being flexible with what you want to do and giving you all the supports you need, doing site visits, the whole rest of it. So, it And was, had you done installation work before or was this a bit of a, were they kind of taking a flyer on you? They were taking a flyer. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I love that too. <laughs> yeah. I think the prior to that, the the most thing that I had done in terms of installation was I did like a a show at my university art gallery with a close friend of mine. So we put on a show and that was the closest I'd gotten to installing work. But this was completely a whole different ball of wax. It was, it was figuring out electricity and permits. And there's so many moving parts that I hadn't even considered in it. But luck were so helpful with getting me the information I needed and the support I needed. So I highly recommend if, if you see a call, anyone sees a call from Ontario Place to go for it because it's, it's a great way to, to play around with public installation. Well, and I think also it's also a, a tribute to you as well where you kind of are going to go into something that's so unknown and you're like, okay, so I'm going to have to learn about permits and electricity and collaboration and working outside and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's really as artists where we can kind of push ourselves and push our our business of art, right? In terms of new opportunities without always waiting until you're totally ready to take that next step. Definitely. And I think, unfortunately, if you wait until you're ready, you'll, you've, you've missed it. Yeah. Sometimes I think with a lot of these calls for submission and different opportunities that pop up, if you don't just go for it, there's so many places that want you to have qualifications. And if you wait until you're trying to get those qualifications. They're so difficult to get if you don't just jump right off that cliff. And I think, don't you think it also just pushes your work in a different way, right? Like you think about things differently yeah. and you have to modify stuff that you, like you were saying, your plan didn't actually, wasn't going to really be viable. And so on the fly, you have to sort of think of something different, which often ends up being kind of even better than your original conception, right? Definitely. Yeah. It was a great, great experience. And then I was able to get the opportunity to do another installation this past winter with them. So that one I made these pieces, essentially, this is actually a little off cut from it. So you can see I've kind of cut the, the heck out of it. <laughs> but this year I, I made a whole ceiling of these fire pieces. So the idea that hopefully you'd come in and get a sense of warmth and community in the cold winter. And that was another learning experience. I have now learned that if I'm going to do a ceiling installation, I need to have the proper equipment to do the ceiling installation. <laughs> and I guess so. My dad and my uncle. I, th I guess that's the one I saw because you posted a couple of those on Instagram then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was definitely a, um, that was a good learning experience. <laughs> Well, that looked really cool, though. And I, I thought it was interesting, too. I mean, just in, in sort of some of the reading I was doing about you, but also within those pieces as well, how much of it kind of connects to not only the physical piece of the art, but the mental space, like the mental, I guess, the mental space you're trying to create for people, or is it, are you creating that for yourself? Or Yeah, these pieces, 
when I'm working on them, I'm creating spaces for myself, for sure. That process of experimenting and playing and doing is a huge help for my own mental health and to be present within my own body and to just really exist in this moment. But when they kind of get mounted and get shown, then they really become about giving other people a space and, and providing them with a moment of reflection and, and calm. Because I think that pieces like this, especially because they can be seen from different perspectives. So if I hold it like this, you just kind of see it as it is. But when you move this way, it creates different patterns on the board. So depending uh -huh. on who you are, how tall you are, how, what your eyesight is like, what other experiences you bring to it, everyone is going to see those pieces differently. Um, so once they leave my studio, I kind of think of them as other people's things and other people's experience. So for you, it's kind of the enjoyment of, because like, I'm a bit like this too, it's the enjoyment of the process. And after they're finished, I don't have a problem selling them or giving them away or whatever, because to yeah. me, it's like, the real creative part was in the, the execution, the process and the ideation of it. Yeah, it's the my my pleasure and my happiness comes from the doing. They're done. I just want everyone else to have that same pleasure and joy. Yeah. And then hopefully they kind of capture some of that as well. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because I think we, we've especially seen within this kind of current environment how much you know, mental health has become such an issue and, and a real challenge for people. And yet going to the arts and turning to the arts and doing something creative can I think can really be beneficial for them, right? Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. I actually, my day job is at a dessert, an art store. And it was interesting to see when things started shutting down, the first things that went were all the watercolor sets and everyone was, <sighs> we've got to get stuff so that we can do stuff during the shutdown. Yeah. It reopened. It was kind of the same attitude where everyone wanted to be able to do something with their hands and do something creative and have that outlet. Well, and maybe it's also an opportunity for people. Like, it's not like a lot of people are kind of encouraged to go into fine arts when you're a kid, right? Like, you're encouraged to go to something that's going to get you a job and get your mortgage and be able to actually survive in a city like Toronto, right? Yeah. But then when you're in a forced scenario of isolation, you know, I wonder how many of those people, like, you know, I always say people are all creative. They just haven't really had the confidence to tap into it. And maybe when you're isolated, you just have the time and the confidence to tap back into it. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, And we should do a shout out to Desairs because that's actually totally my favorite place for art as well. And if you are a full-time artist, then that zone card gives you great discounts <laughs> plug because I just think they're fabulous and they're kind of not as well maybe known in the artist community. It seems to be more of a consumer piece, but they're a great organization. So anyway, sorry, that was my little plug. <laughs> hey, they'll be happy to have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, and so generally just, I mean, not continuing on the topic of necessarily mental health, but it looks like psychology and kind of uh, work you have now talks about kind of microbes and biology and stuff like that. Like, is that, do you have a kind of a previous life in that? Or is that just something you've kind of always been interested in? It's, I, it's not something that I have a previous experience in, in any way, shape or form. I find it fascinating and I love learning about those types of things and disciplines, but it's not something that I have a, an authority or an, like a, a formal knowledge in. For me, investigating the chemical structures of the brain that impact mental health are, they're more personal to me. There's like a very long history of mental health in my family. So we kind of know that it, there's some kind of chemical thing involved. So for me, investigating the ideas of different brain patterns and what that looks like and the different chemicals that are involved in those imbalances, having that knowledge in the back of my head while I'm creating and trying to kind of mimic those patterns or 
consider that information is a major driving force behind the the actual creation of the pieces. It's one of those things where imagining how those chemical structures could look like is almost what I feel some of my pieces end up as. I, I think that's a wonderful conversation. I mean, I, there's mental health issues in my family as well. And, you know, I think that the more we talk about it, the more people can feel that it's just a natural part of some people's brains or, you know, function differently. And, and there's different ways of being able to kind of work through some of those challenges. And I think for sure, art and nature and those things, which in the city is kind of almost become secondary, you know, is really kind of important to have to relive, re-enliven those conversations, I think. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the other thing I thought was kind of interesting is it looks like you've done quite a few, and maybe this was just the circadian rhythm one, but I thought it was kind of interesting. You, you collaborated with a musician, I think, to sort of as part of that too. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to go to an art school for high school. So I went to Rosedale and so did my sister actually. So as often as I can, I try to collaborate either with old classmates or my sister and she's in dance and her dancer friends. So the the musical score for Circadian Rhythms was made by a friend of mine, Henry Patterson, and he is amazing. He's incredibly talented at composition and also playing. And I think I threw very odd experimental stuff at him and he way exceeded my expectations. So that's something that I always want to revisit in terms of creating an experience. I think that the visual is just one aspect of it. And if I can create an auditory experience, a sensory experience, which is also why I encourage people to touch my pieces, the more that you can engage fully with the world I create, I think the better. Oh, that's a lovely sentiment. And I, I have a very much a newer appreciation of collaborating on art pieces when Lisa and I, Lisa Hickey and I were trying to work on this COVID collaboration. I'm still sitting in the in the studio. You know, it's interesting because we were both so the goal was go free, do whatever you want, make it just sort of something that's kind of something we don't normally do. So it was truly breaking outside of what you normally do. But I found we were creeping up on it. We were so afraid of giving the other person something that was not really workable, right? So we spent all this time working on this really funky, cool background and, and then finally I'm like, Yeah, I'm just gonna do these really hideous actually poppies on it and of course Lisa was like oh my god I don't know what to do with this I'm like, she goes yesterday we, she, we were talking about it and she's like I think I'm gonna have to hand it back to you and I'm like yeah, you just have to paint over those <laughs> like, it's so hard to get fully mentally in the right space uh, to do your own thing but also as a part of your brain thinking about not leaving the other person kind of high and dry definitely it's collaborating with someone on a project is so difficult and I think that it's it's hard to like you don't want to step on anyone's toes but at the same time you always have to there's always that moment where you have to kind of paint over something or read yeah. something and just start over yeah. yeah and i think i think we were naive too because the goal was we're not going to talk about it we're just going to do it right and i think in some ways that actually increased the stress of it because if you'd had to, a little bit of a, even if it's I don't know, color palette we're going to use or a theme we think we might want to work in. But when it's everything is so open, it was actually remarkably difficult. So anyway, we're going to go back to it and it's going to look like a hodgepodge of mess, but it'll be therapeutic, I think. I think you guys will pull it, it through. <laughs> you have more confidence than I do. I'm not sure we will, actually. <laughs> I'm almost thinking maybe I just have to maybe just have to post it. We'll encourage all of the other artists from Art Alchemy to add their piece of it as well, and then it'll just be like this total. Over the years, we'll just build it up, and it'll be like this Art Alchemy forty-eight by forty-eight that has four thousand layers on it. 
that actually sounds really cool. It could be kind of fun, yeah. And that, that you know, it's one of those things where actually almost if you make it ugly, it kind of takes all the stress out of it, right? Because it's obviously not going to be something that is going to be beautiful, but it could be a lot of fun to work on. And then at the end, you never know. Sometimes those big mistakes end up being something um, quite magical. I don't know if you find that within your process. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's a lot of odd spills that happen and uh, working with like rubbing alcohol and crazy weird things half the time. If, if I knock over a bottle or something like that, it's a totally new piece. It has to be. Um, yeah. Or for example, with the, the recent Ontario Place show, a bunch of the pieces one day just all came down and they were all kind of dangling from the ceiling. And that was a, a stressful phone conversation with them. But it also did kind of give me an idea. I was like, you know what? In the future, I've got to look at a project where people can actually walk through these things. So they're also hanging from the ceiling. And so letting those mistakes and those very stressful moments kind of inspire and inform future projects, I think for me is, is really important. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, uh, you know, if you go to see any of the Chihuly exhibits and they always have that area, that hallway you walk through and all this stuff's on the glass ceiling and you can kind of see the glass through it, right? And you kind of feel like you're really surrounded by his work. I love, I love his stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, I do too. He's a huge inspiration for me as well, even though obviously I'm not, don't do glass and that stuff, but just his kind of mixing of colors and there's the, I don't know, the blending of the materials are just beautiful. Yeah, his the like the fantasy that he creates is amazing. Yeah, have you been to his studio, like his uh, that museum in Seattle? I've not. No, I think the the only time I saw his work in person was when it was at the ROM a few years ago, and that was it was just amazing to walk through. It, it's like, magical. It is. It really like there's no other word you can use to describe it other than that. It's yeah, amazing. But yeah, I definitely yeah. Have to go and see more. And who else would you kind of say are your influences? Probably right now, uh, most of my like concrete art references, I would say, and, and uh, inspirations would have to be um, Emily Carrier. She works in the city and that interference material and the layering, as well as the watercolor aspect, just that mixture of materials she's landed on. I, it just completely blows my mind. I love it. Yeah, they're beautiful. She was across from me at the one of a kind last year. Yeah. Oh, the two years ago, I guess. But yeah, it's beautiful work. And really, again, it's really different. Like you don't see yeah. it. And it's something that when you look at her work too, it's great for her. There's a very identifiable as hers. Definitely. So yeah, she's like a, a major inspiration. And I love looking at her work. So there's Emily. There's also in the city, uh, Brienne. She does a lot of, uh, Brienne Burnell, I believe. Her, yeah, that's her last name. She does a lot of collage-based work, but it's not figurative it's all abstract and her use of color and texture is something that blows my mind and that kind of use of texture I think I really want to explore in my own work if there's a way everything I use is smooth and and like glossy and if there's a way I can start looking at matte and like rough textures that's something I want to explore as well oh that'd be fun yeah so yeah I think those are some very uh, concrete people that I look to, um, especially in the city. But a lot of my inspiration for this particular series actually comes from pastry chefs. I love watching food television. I am <laughs> completely obsessed along with the rest food of porn. <laughs> and there's things that pastry chefs can do with sugar and chocolate that it's amazing. 
And it's definitely like the main reason why I started using these sculpted forms was because I saw a pastry chef pour chocolate onto a sheet of acetate and then they just kind of formed it, let it dry, and it came this amazing sculpture. Wow, that's fabulous. It's amazing. So definitely two of my other main inspirations for just technical ideas. Yeah, I, I, did, I, just, want to, I just want to tell you a funny story about pastry chefs. I did this show in San Diego and they had this, you know, just to kind of activate the space and get people interested and stuff. They partnered with pastry chefs. So the pastry chefs were able to choose any of the people, pieces of art. And so a, two of them actually chose my work as an inspiration and they created this cake based on my art. Oh, that's so cool. And then they brought them at the show. They showed the, the actual final creation with the art. And then, of course, they had samples, which were really super tasty. But quite phenomenal, some of the stuff that they could produce. It's, it was really a neat experience. It's so weird to think because all the stuff that we work with largely is highly toxic. And then to see what you can create with things that you can eat and enjoy, it's like it's a whole other world, but they're so tightly related so definitely just scrolling through instagram and looking at high level pastry sculptures <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing yeah yeah it'd be actually fun i'd love to do that with uh like we actually were looking at potentially doing that with art walk square one of the years which we'll have to wait until we can do things in real life but yeah. to partner with you know pastry chefs at george brown or something like that with uh, with artists i think is just such a a really interesting challenge for both and again another really interesting collaboration where you can truly i think collaborate without any stepping on toes because everyone has their own individual kind of areas of expertise. Yeah. And they've got their thing that they know and you've got your thing that you know, and it's not necessarily competing in the same world. Yeah. So what's up next for Kat Stambolic? Next is mostly I'm just working towards the art walk in the square, but my main things that I want to pursue more is, is more public installation. So I'll be applying to the, the design Toronto festival they've got a lot of calls coming up for especially window displays so i think i'm going to try and get work into spaces where people can physically walk into them so instead of just having them static and standing on a wall or a shelf you can physically be in with the work so that's definitely where i want to end up long term just doing public installation based work as much as possible so that that's where i'm driving towards hopefully that sounds really fun and how do you, this is, maybe this is a crass question, so you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but how, how do you make money doing that? Like in terms of being able to fund projects like that? Cause it might be quite expensive to create those huge ceiling panels and. Yeah. So it, with, it kind of fluctuates and depends. So you have to, in my opinion, choose your battles wisely. There are some calls for submissions that I have then been accepted to. And when we start talking about the finances, I have to respectfully bow out because some of the the funding is in a form of an honorarium. And sometimes that honorarium will cover your costs and allow you to pay yourself a little bit. And more often than not, it does not. So for me, being in my kind of emerging artist stage of my career, sometimes it's worth it to take the honorarium that's very small and get the good exposure. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, it, it's not worth it. So you have to be really careful about making those choices. And I guess think strategically how that's going to, how you're going to be able to leverage it or build it or do something else with it, right? Otherwise, is that you know, classic exposure can kill you if you're not careful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So especially in the last, I'd say two years, I've been a lot more choosy with what I actually go through with. And that's mostly just to, 
to make sure that I'm not digging myself into a hole, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, that's important too, because you don't want to do something that is, is fun. It sounds like fun and exciting. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and it becomes super stressful because there's, you know, financial issues or, you know, that kind of suck some of the joy out of it, I would think. Exactly. There are, however, many opportunities, for example, like Ontario Place, where they give you a very generous budget, in my opinion, very generous. <laughs> um, so that probably allows you also to do really more interesting things, like more multi-layered and kind of maybe a bit more advanced than you would if you have a minimal budget. Yeah. That's practical, sure. right? I think that the main thing I've learned from, from budgeting and submitting like price requests and stuff like that to different places is always to include like a 10% contingency fee, which I call, which I basically take all my materials costs and all my installation costs. And I find out what 10% of that is. And I just add it into the budget so that if anything goes wrong, if I need more of a product, more of a different product, I've, I've still got kind of a, a cushion to fall back on. That's really smart because the chances are probably pretty high you use that contingency fee almost every time, right? All the time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was my dad's idea one year and ever since I, I put it in once, I've always put it back in. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to surprise this part on you because I've decided last, last couple of weeks actually we had somebody who said, you know, it'd be really great if you would end up your interviews with these like these fast questions, right? So like a couple of answers. So these are Kate's quickies. So <laughs> right. and I've got a couple of different ones. So three things you would take with you if you were on a desert island. Desert island. The Hobbit, the book, a big glass of clean drinking, like a refillable, constant, magical, refillable <laughs> drinking. Um, and sunscreen, because I do not do well. In <laughs> You're so practical. That's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you listen to in the studio? Like, do you listen to podcasts, music? Always music, pretty much always music. Recently, it's Taylor Swift's Folklore album. Oh, that's lovely, yeah. So good, I love it. Very inspirational, yeah. yeah. And you're lucky too, because you listen in your own studio. So with mine, I have to always be careful because I have a very weird and crazy eclectic studio mix. So not everybody is, is, wants to kind of have that same uh, level of flexibility. Where would you travel? If you could travel anywhere, where would you travel for your art inspiration? Paris. Oh, I yeah. Paris once and I fell in love and all I want to do now is go back. <laughs> Yeah, I don't blame you. That sounds wonderful. Okay, and this one is basically, I went to an inspiration thing a couple of years ago, and they were like, you know, what would be your hairy-ass goal? Like, your big goal if you didn't have to worry about practicality. So, what would that be? Like, massive public art installations that are outdoors. Like, I want to be putting up huge pieces that are, like, five stories tall in the middle of Dundas Square. That That's just stay there forever. Yeah. That, that's pretty good. That's a good hairy-ass goal. <laughs> okay, well, this has really been lovely. I really uh, enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better and understanding your work a bit. And I look forward to uh, checking it out on Art Walk Square. I guess you'll have some new pieces up there. Yeah, definitely. And have a great week. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it was good. So I'll post this on Instagram and I'll actually post it on Facebook so you can share it as well. But I've really enjoyed it. And thank you so much. And have a fabulous creative week. You as well. Okay, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Well, that was great. So thank you, everybody, for joining us, for talking to artists. Next week coming up, we have Corinne Kokolakis, and she is a bit more of a realism painter, so very different from what we uh, talked about with uh, Kat, which will be really fun. My past episodes will be on Facebook, and they're also on Instagram on my IGTV, and I am kind of working on trying to get them on YouTube, but once that happens, I will let you know. Other than that, have a fabulous creative week. Thank you so much for joining me, and we will see you next week at 11. Thanks. Bye-bye.